There's really so much to say about Spike Lee's Bamboozled. It's one of those films that I think could uh, and does in fact deserve a full treatment because it raises issues of representation and the craft of cinema in such stark ways. It raises those in stark ways, and that's what I like about the film. But it raises those in stark ways because it's committed to a certain form of pessimism. As I said in the last piece, and really that was my focus, this is a pessimism rooted in the kinds of claims made by Frank Wilderson, Jared Sexton, and others in the contemporary Afro-pessimist movement that locates anti-blackness not at the level of institutions and attitudes alone, though that is certainly the case, but at the level of being, at the level of our own personal being, and at the level of our collective being, that is, the world, ideological through and through, where that ideology is steeped in anti-blackness. The world, the collective space we share, that generates our very being, what Franz Fanon called sociogeny. The idea that we as existential creatures are created, not by a god, not by a natural process that disposes us towards good or evil, but rather we are generated and created by a society saturated, in this case, with an anti-blackness that works at the very level of our senses and sensibility. At the level of our senses, because it makes us see and hear things in a certain way, and that we don't hear and don't see things in other ways. To be revolutionary in that sense is to step outside of the senses, but also to step outside of that sensibility that anti-blackness brings, and that the minstrel show, or the new minstrel show as it's called, in Bamboozled, that the minstrel show draws out. It draws out a pessimistic sensibility because it shows how anti-blackness affects our sense of pleasure, what we would find humorous, what we would find entertaining. It's an audacious claim and it's hyperbolic in some ways in the film. But also, as I said last time, Spike Lee is drawing on a longer and I think uh, much more provocative and, and difficult commentary on both what had been in the 1990s and, and late 80s, but mostly 1990s, a movement in black television, or just a movement in television, that was more inclusive of black people, moving away from the Cosby show and a different world and these sort of you know, middle-class, upper-middle-class concerns uh, com comedies and dramas with, you know, as has been critiqued a million times in sort of armchair ways as respectability. I don't think res being respectable or middle class is inherently a, a critique or noting that that's a feature of something. But it also says something that that was the only permissible form of black television for so long, says something about acceptable forms of blackness. And what happens in the 1990s in television and in music is the emergence of entirely different kinds of black representation. When we have those emerging new forms of black representation, in living color being probably the most important backdrop for Bamboozled, it's an occasion for Spike Lee to stop and reflect 
on what's going on in that form of humor. He's pessimistic. He's pessimistic in that he has no qualms about and no hesitation around naming what he sees as participating in the minstrel tradition. Perhaps, and I would assume, against the desires of the comedians and the comic writers. But nevertheless, that's an essential part of those series. It's an essential part of how black humor works in those contexts. So when Spike Lee in Bamboozled has this outlandish sort of crazy proposal that a new minstrel show would absolutely be a hit with both white and black viewers, I think he's trying to get us to look more critically at one, what one might see as a form of not liberation, but an expansive sense of belonging and participation in American culture. He's suggesting that it isn't really that at all. It's a reiteration of a new form, in a new form, of an old form, an old form that he calls minstrelsy, right? Or that we know historically as minstrelsy. So how does it function in this sense of ontology? There is, for me, the most, uh, there, I think this gets an answer or, or, or at least a starting point in what is, for me, the most important scene in the film, which is where Damon Wayans' character, Delacroix, is sitting in this collection of minstrel Americana, right? incredibly uncomfortable visually. But nevertheless, it's part of the accumulation in the film, right? He's accumulating these minstrel pieces. And as he accumulates these minstrel pieces, he's accumulating a sense of how deep our connection as a society is to that sense of minstrelsy. So the accumulation of objects directly parallels and even mimics the accumulation of insight that Delacroix has had and that we as viewers should have about the persistence of minstrelsy, the accumulation of it in our senses and sensibility. But there's a moment where he's putting a coin in this uh, just awful minstrel uh, uh, coin bank, minstrel-themed coin bank. And all of a sudden, it starts moving on its own. All of a sudden, it starts working on its own. And I sit in class with that moment and I asked the students, like, why, why would it start acting on its own? Some of the students suggest, and, and I think, you know, one could absolutely see it in the film. And I think it's largely true, which is that Delacroix is starting to see that he's put into motion something he can't control. That is, that the new minstrel show is something that initially he had floated to get Dunwoody fired to cause controversy and change the institutional culture at his television company, a production company, but that it turns out the opposite, right? That people love minstrelsy, that it's a huge hit and it's the newest everything, right? Trend and, and um, form of humor, but it's not new at all. It's old. So part of it, I think, is that, that he's lost control of the capacity of minstrelsy to command our attention and that it didn't have the result he wanted. But I also suggest that this is Spike Lee's moment of, of characterizing his pessimism about the persistence of minstrelsy in our sense and sensibilities 
by describing it not as ontology, that's just really not his cinematic language, but as a ghost, that it haunts us, that it moves invisibly to change things in our world, to make things in our world express in certain ways. And that it, that that place and that presence that forms the way expressive life works is not something in Delacroix's control. So at the moment, we might blame him for the new minstrel show. Spike Lee is stopping and saying, we can't blame him for the new minstrel show. We can't blame him for the new minstrel show because minstrelsy is a ghost that haunts everything in our world. And that haunting goes so far and I think in this really important way, and for me, it's one of the most difficult parts of the film. It goes so far that we can't even get what is the typical Spike Lee juxtaposition. What I mean by the typical Spike Lee juxtaposition is to take someone who is deeply problematic and sort of set them aside, to, uh, set them uh, next to someone, whether in a scene or in a sequence or across the arc of the film, someone who is the opposite of that, not necessarily saintly, but a sort of ethical uh, a conscience of the film. We'll talk about that in, 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 multiple, in the context of multiple other films. It's usually elderly people, usually elderly women. Sort of the grandmother or a Stevie Wonder song or an Al Jarreau song, these tend to be the conscience of the film. And the conscience of the film, and I would just say like the sin of the film, end up being embodied, right? Either in the sound of, of, a, of a credit song or in a character who carries that wisdom and that ethical center with them. And then you have, you know, the sin of the film, right? Whether it's in a person or in a, in a process or an event. The sin is clearly in Bamboozled, the new minstrel show. And the way that everybody is so eager to both participate in it and to enjoy it. And enjoyment, of course, is a form of participation. Initially, I think, we are drawn into the idea that the Mau Mau's, right, the hip-hop group that ends up auditioning and not getting the part, ends up uh, auditioning for um, the, the role of, of stage band in the, in the show. And there's an amazing moment during the auditions, and the auditions are their own conversation for real. It's a pretty amazing set of, of, of scenes. They're very short, but really amazing. A lot of it seems improvised. It certainly is some of the most visceral reaction uh, you get. And the Mau Mau's perform. And then afterwards, um, I forget who it was just right now. I'm just blanking on that. Who in the audience, which are just the production crew, right? The writer and production people. And one of them says, I need to take a week off of all black things after that. And there's this sense that Spike Lee, I think, is luring us into that maybe the Mau Mau's and their sort of over-the-top blackness, right? Both their identification in their name, Mau Mau's, with uh, Kenyan revolutionaries, anti-colonial revolutionaries, right? And their own lyrics, you know, they quote Fanon, or at least reference uh, Fanon's Wretched of the Earth. And uh, they just have a presence and, and uh, a cadence and a language and self-characterization that suggests it's going to be the ethical center of the film, right? That they will be the counterweight to the new minstrel show. And to a certain extent, that's true. The fact that they end up dying in a spasm of police violence at the end is extremely important because police violence is such a uh, quietly uh, uh, 
you know, a consistent and strong thread in Lee's films for, uh, I think, obvious reasons, right? You make films about black life, police violence has to be a part of that. That's just, that's just the United States. So part of it, I think, a part of that is true, I think, that the Mau Mau's end up being the conscience of the film. But at the same time, there's a whole other set of discourses, right? Namely, when um, uh, Jada Pinkett's character and Mostef's character, right, brother and sister, have these conversations about what the Mau Mau's are about, and they're exposed as their own kind of performance, their own kind of mask, right? That, that Jada Pinkett's character is able to, to show us and show you know, the Mau Mau's, but they don't care, right? And in that moment where they are performing their radicalism rather than really being radical, right? Rather than really being outside the economy of the ghostly or haunted collective space of minstrelsy, really comes out when we see them plotting their revolutionary action and they're drinking Da Bomb, right? which is a malt liquor where Spike Lee produces a commercial in the middle of it. And um, it's, you know, the commercial is absolutely right out of some kind of caricature, but also direct report from a lot of hip hop music videos, right? Women's asses, men walking around, you know, drinking uh, malt liquor, you know, the pimp and prostitute tropes, these very things that are present in Hollywood Shuffle. This is a continuity I like in the class to draw that between 1987 and 2000, Hollywood Shuffle and Bamboozled, you see the same theme being dragged across two films in a way of, film, uh, of staging the crisis of black filmmaking. But at that moment when the Mau Mau's can't even change what they drink, Right? They can't even change the alcohol they consume when they party, or in this case, plan revolutionary action. That says something about the embeddedness of minstrelsy inside even what we might imagine in the film is the conscience and kind of resistance. Right? Figures of resistance. They aren't figures of resistance. So for me, this raises the question, is Spike Lee's Bamboozled a nihilistic film? It's certainly pessimistic, but is it nihilistic? And when pessimism takes a nihilist turn, that's that moment where understanding, in this case, minstrelsy to both haunt and be at the ontological foundations of our world, right? It becomes nihilistic in the moment that you say that and then say there is no escape. And I think that for the Mau Mau's, they're drawn into that nihilism. There is no escape. They aren't escaped from it. So is it a nihilistic film? I think that it largely is. I mean, everybody dies. You know, everybody important dies. And they die in really awful ways, right? Because they die a deep spiritual death. Right? The tap dancer loses his passion for his art, and he recovers it but he only recovers it by angrily storming out, right? We don't see what happens after. So I don't know that we could take that as an, as an exit from the pessimism or, or, or a contravening force to nihilism. Nor do we see it, you know, we don't see uh, Damon Wayans' character, uh, Delacroix, um, 
you know, forge a new vision for his own writing. Remember, he's the creative center of the film, right? He's creative center of the film, and that's what makes it so nihilistic, right? That, that he produces this, and it has effects that he can't control. But I think there is a really interesting element to the film, which is stand-up comedy performance. There's, during the, the auditions where they're looking for an opening act for the new minstrel show, there's a series of, of comedy pieces and they're just short little snippets of what are obviously longer acts. And those enact some of the very things in the, the malt liquor commercial, right? I be slapping my hose is this phrase, you know, sung and as a comedy routine on that stage as, there's, as they're, um, you know, finding an opening act that absolutely maps on to the malt liquor commercial maps onto, therefore, the minstrel sensibility that haunts the entirety of cultural production in Bamboozled. Except, and I think this is a really important part, Junebug, right, played by Paul Mooney, who's Delacroix's father. And Delacroix goes to see his father perform. And it's a really interesting performance. It's a small club. It's an all-black audience. And afterwards, Junebug, Right, or Paul Mooney's character gives a, an account of himself. Right, I've tried to make comedy that's edgy but maintains black dignity, that maintains black hum, uh, humanity, even as it names really, you know, it's a crude, right, uh, whether it's crude sexual humor or relationship humor. Um, and it is problematic, right? If, if, if we're to, to, you know, if I was were to sit down and talk about what's going on in this comedy routine, I would say, I really like this, that's a little whatever. But that's not what's important about Junebug's performance for me. What's important is what he says afterwards. And he articulates very clearly that making black humor about black humanity, because black humanity is not just simply on the uplift, it's also... The, the dirty, grubby, uh, finite, flawed part of being human, that that's part of the human of humanity. So therefore, you know, if one's to honor black humanity, one honors that complexity. That's essentially what Junebug tells Delacroix. And that there's something really important, and Spike Lee doesn't come out and say it, but it's visually very clear, and even sonically very clear, that part of what makes Junebug's humor and proclamation about black humanity in this level of humor work is that he's performing it in front of a black audience who knows him, who knows the humor, who knows the, the comedy circuit, who knows and trusts what he is to say, and therefore trusts that the comedy resonates in a way that perhaps steps outside this minstrelsy steps outside the ghost that haunts cultural production featuring black people and black life and black bodies. Now, if is that the exit in Bamboozled? Is that Spike Lee's idea of, well, here's the path out of this pessimism? I think it is. I think it is, but we also have to understand that if it is, it's an exit that leads to Paul Mooney's character getting drunk, being lonely, being away from home, moving from woman to woman, not in a fun way, 
right? Not played as a, in a fun way, but played really pathetically. Like he can't take care of himself at this point and needs somebody to hold him up literally and figuratively. That is, I think what Spike Lee is saying that the only path out of this pessimism, the only way around the nihilistic conclusion to that pessimism is a path that absolutely zaps the vitality of life out of black people. That level of exhaustion, right? That level of of alienation from, and I think the from have to have an ellipsis. What's, what's his alienation from? It's his alienation from a sense of comfort, a sense of, of expansive world. And instead he, in his performance, and also in his dressing room after, Paul Mooney's character is, is suffocated, right? He's in a small place. It feels like it's closed in, in ways that the new minstrel show isn't. The new minstrel show is this big open stage. It's spacious. It's fresh and new. The comedy club is struggling. It's old. It's worn, like Junebug himself. I've always thought, and this is something I communicate to the students and, and, and I keep in the back of my head while I watch Spike Lee's films, is I think that's partly Spike Lee reflecting on what had for, at that point, been 12 years of, of serious public filmmaking, where he tried to forge a different kind of black representation, a different way of putting black humanity on the screen. And that at some point, his spirit, like Junebug's, had begun to collapse. It had begun to collapse, and I think it's a really interesting way to go back and reread some of, or re-read uh, the timeline of his films, like what comes after that, and how does he take these pauses and do higher production films with less, let's say, uh, racial existential stakes, right? Yeah, films that were going to be more typical Hollywood films, rather than the deeply ethical and political films that Lee has largely dedicated his life to. I think there's an escape there. He's like, I need something different. Because not only is that an exhausting way to make films, but anyone who reads criticism and reflections on Spike Lee's filmmaking, filmmaking knows that this is also, you know, exhausting work because of the management of reaction, the management of how people receive your film and reject it and critique it for its lack of full representation, for representations that are problematic, faulty, incomplete, what's missing, what's underdeveloped, and so on. That that task or that burden, as I keep saying, of black filmmaking and that burden of representation comes at an existential cost because it's battling against a pessimistic world bent towards, arcing toward nihilism and that the path out that perhaps Spike Lee's films are, right, or represent that path out. That path out is itself its own form of exhaustion.